Welcome. It's Good Friday. It's the day we celebrate, we remember what Christ did for us on the cross. But as we think about it, what did, what did Jesus do on that cross? Oh, he did a lot. As you think about it, he took the payment for our sins. He paved the way for us to have a mediator between us and God. He took God's wrath. He took God's curse. He fulfilled prophecies and promises and all of these things. There's so many things that he did on the cross, but tonight we're just going to focus in on, on one of the things he did. Um, and in Galatians 3, so if you have your Bible and you want to read, um, we're going to read about one thing Jesus did for us. And so in Galatians chapter 3, I'm going to read verse 10 and verse 13. It says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. And in the verse 13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So let me set a little um, background. Set the stage a little bit uh, for what's going on. Uh, we've got Paul, the apostle, a Jew, is writing the letter here to the church in Galatia. Um, and specifically, he's writing on the occasion that there is a group of teachers. Uh, they're going around and they're teaching something false. And Paul writes to address the church and warn them of the dangers of believing this false teaching and to condemn the teachers themselves. And so as we look a little bit at what these people were teaching and then look at our hearts a little bit, I hope that sets a, a background or a stage for the cross because that's what Paul does as he builds up this argument against these people. He finally comes to a climax in his argument and in his thoughts and he puts up Jesus as the knockout punch to this, this teaching. And, and so for us, in the same way, we've got red and blue lights and all of it. It sets in backdrop to magnify the cross of Jesus. So in the same way, um, Paul does before coming to the final peak where he sets Jesus up as ultimate. So let's look at this. Um, so these people that, that Paul had written about, they're called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers were a group of people teaching that there was one specific work of the law that was required for one to be a Christian. It was a works plus faith kind of gospel that they were teaching, um, that you'd have to have faith, but then there was something you had to do to be a Christian, to be justified, to stand right before God. There was something you had to do, something of your own working that you had to accomplish in order for God to look on you uh, right and to consider you justified. But let's be clear about these Judaizers. They're not around anymore. There really isn't a group under the name of Judaizers that are walking around anymore. I've never met a Judaizer. You've probably never met a Judaizer. But despite the fact that these men are dead, their teaching and the spirit of that still lives on. And it's taken different forms and different shapes through the ages. Um, today, a derivative of what they taught we might call legalism. That's the buzzword today. And now, legalism is just a thought that 
once we're saved, maybe we're saved by grace, but then in order to maintain our salvation, in order to maintain God looking on us with favor, we have to keep the rules and we have to avoid the sins. And for an, in order for God to, to continue loving us, we have things we've got to do. You see how that kind of comes from the same place? And um, I know it's easy to think, oh, yeah, yeah, I know, I know a guy like that. I know this church like that. I know some people, and that's how they think. I'm glad I'm not like them. But in reality, all of us have a little bit of a Judaizer in our heart, in our mind. It's a little mini Judaizer that lives there, and it whispers more subtly than, than they may have taught it. Um, the same kind of thing. And we have to be careful, even as Christians, and be aware of this thing. Um, because naturally, as people, we want to please others. Like, you want to please your friends. You want to please your spouse. You want to please people at work. You want to please people around you um, and just make them happy and generally build relationships by doing things for them. Um, if I want to make someone my friend, I might do something nice for them, and they may like me, and we become friends. Great. That's just human, but when we turn that same idea towards God is where it gets a little dangerous. Um, and now we all know, most of us here would admit that if you were to compare yourself to God, you know you don't measure up. That's part of being, that's part of the gospel, is understanding that you're a sinner and you've fallen and you don't meet God's standard. But maybe instead of looking at God's standard, sometimes we take our eyes off and we look and we see ourselves compared to other people. Or we see ourselves uh, compared to the mental checklist of the things that, that we do in life, um, the things that make us a good Christian. So maybe we're in life, and it's, it's not explicit, but it's subtle. Like, she says she's a Christian, but see what she lets her kids do? I don't let my kids do that. <laughs> it's not what good Christians do, but she does. And you, you kind of distance yourself. I'm a little bit ahead of her. Or at work, you're like, well, I don't... I don't talk to the secretary the same way those other guys talk to her. I would never do that. I'm a Christian. They say they are, but you separate yourself a little bit. Or, or you've got your, your one, two, three checklist of I've got to do this, I've got to do this, and I've got to avoid this. I don't drink, I don't chew, I don't date girls who do. And as long as I keep those things in line, God's probably looking pretty favorably on me. He looks at me and he smiles, he's happy. I'm doing the right thing. Um, so we have these things, and we, we, we look at them, and, and that's our track record. These are the things we do or don't do, or the, the things that we do or that others do that we don't do, that helps us make a little bit of a separation between ourselves and others. And in that way, subtly in our hearts, we think, well, maybe I've got a little more favor in God's eyes than someone else. Or in the other way, we look at it and we think, I didn't keep my checklist. I didn't do this. I didn't, I didn't read my Bible this week. I didn't pray. I didn't do this. I didn't, 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 didn't. And then in the same way, then we start to feel this guilt or condemnation because we didn't keep all of the laws. So bottom line, looking at our track record um, as a way to, to see how our relationship with God is going is how we subtly start to buy into this little lie of legalism or, or become little Judaizers on the inside. But let's look back at that verse in verse 10. Uh, Galatians 3.10, it says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide 
by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So there's a grave warning here to the Judaizers and the little legalists that live in our heart um, because we have to be very clear on a few things. One, there is a law given by God. Two, God demands perfect adherence to the law. Three, failure to meet a perfect adherence to that law results in a curse. And now, today we don't often speak in the language of curses. Some of you speak in language cursing, but I'm talking about something different. Stay with me. Paul tells us that there's a curse here. And so when we have the word curse, let's uh, replace it with God's active wrath. Or if, if God is, has someone under a curse, his wrath is pointed towards them. So that's what the curse is here. And, and Paul tells us that if we rely on the works of the law, we are under a curse. Well, then why? Is, is obeying God wrong? Is avoiding sin wrong? Is doing good things wrong? No, that's not wrong. We ought to obey God. But the word there says to rely on those things. If we rely on them, we're under a curse. But why? Why? What says, and he quotes Deuteronomy, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law. And so the book of the law, God gave the Jews a huge law that they had to keep. And in Deuteronomy, it comes to its pinnacle, and then Jesus repeats it twice in the New Testament, where he says that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind. And if we have to abide by that perfectly, that means from the moment we're born to the moment we die, we have to love the Lord our God with our heart and soul and strength and mind as perfectly and as much as we can without any blemish every minute of every day. So that standard is high, and it's impossible. And so if that's where we're at, if that's the the law we have to keep, if you're relying on your law-keeping, you're relying on something that's not going to work because you're already under a curse. You're already under something that you broke. It's not going to do you any good. It's like uh, showing up to the, the NFL Football Hall of Fame induction ceremony, and you've got your three-year statistics, if you were a three-year reigning champion of your fantasy football league at work, and you, you show up and say, oh, can I get on the hall? I'm going to put my name up there. Look what I did. It doesn't do anything. It's not going to do you any good to show up there. They're going to laugh you out of the building. And in the same way, your uh, attempts and efforts and all the sacrifice and um, energy and everything we put into it and all the effort we put into following the law and everything, as good as it is in regards to how it affects our relationship and our standing before God in the legal sense, whether God is pleased with us or not, it doesn't hold any water. So, um, so whatever we bring to the table, it doesn't do us really much of any good um, for your good works, for the purpose of getting right before God, or hoping, well, maybe God's smiling on me today. Whether you've done it or not, there's something else that matters. Because he writes then, uh, because we're under a curse, he writes then, Christ redeemed us of the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And so God knows we're under a curse because God knows what law he gave. And God knows what state we're in and that we're not going to be able to hold it. And so he sends his son, Jesus, down to the world. God himself incarnates, meaning he puts on skin and puts on bone, and he comes here and he lived. 
And that law at its highest and most difficult, challenging place to keep it, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind, when Jesus was on earth, he did it every minute of every day for three and more decades of his life. Every dot of the law, everything that was written there, he fulfilled. And he did it perfectly, blamelessly and spotlessly. He didn't mess up once, and he loved God perfectly his life. And so Jesus was the only one to live on earth who was not under the curse. But yet, despite the fact that Jesus wasn't under the curse, or Jesus didn't have the wrath of God pointed towards him, Jesus still went forward and was crucified. He was nailed to a cross. And then the last part of that verse in 13 says, and this is interesting, cursed everyone who is hanged on a tree. And so Jesus, as he is nailed up onto a cross, after all of the other beatings and punishments he goes through, is nailed there. And it's very poignant to the Jews to see because the Jews didn't crucify people. That wasn't their method of execution. That was the Romans thing. The Jews stoned people. And what they would do is they would, if someone was executed, they would stone them and they would bury their body. But they were very, very particular about how they handled bodies after death. But for someone who had egregiously and terribly offended the law and offended God, they would execute them by stoning, and they wouldn't bury their body right away. They would hang it up on a tree and display it for all to see to show that this is how seriously we're taking this. And it was the ultimate humiliation for a Jew to have their dead body exposed and displayed after execution. It's the worst thing that could happen to them. And so Jesus, not as easy, just crucified and killed and has his dead body exposed, but he's alive, having nails put into his hands and hanged up on a tree for everyone to see. And so the, a very clear message is being sent to the people who see this, that this man is cursed. They knew it. The Jews knew what this meant. They meant that the man hanging on this tree was cursed by God meaning the wrath of God was pointed at that man, despite the fact that he deserved none of it. And as he died there, he said these words, it is finished, meaning the curse of God was completely poured out. And as he said those words, God's cup of wrath, the last drop fell Onto Jesus, and he took all of the curse, the curse that was for me, the curse that was for you, for our failures, for all the times we've messed up, for the times we didn't measure up, everything that we owed God, God poured out on Jesus. And his body hung there as a testament to everybody who would see it, and his body hung there and sent a message, not just to the people who saw it, but into the rest of history. It reverberated saying everyone who looks at this man, this man Jesus, on the cross, his, he has taken the curse for you. And so he has redeemed us from the curse. And so what does that mean for you? I don't know how you came in here today, but a lot of us in one of two ways, or sometimes in both ways, we, maybe you came in here tired and weary because... You just, you're putting in effort and you're trying and you're doing everything you can to dot all your I's and to cross all your T's. You're trying to make sure you're always following everything as perfectly as possible because for some reason, if you just don't get it all right, 
God might not be happy with you. And you feel like, man, you've been working at this for a long time, but somehow you just haven't quite gotten the Christian life down yet. You seem like, I'm going to do better tomorrow, and then tomorrow comes and it just doesn't work. So maybe you come in tired from that. Or maybe you've come in just buried in the shame and the guilt of what you know you've done in the past. The sins that you've done, the places you've broke God's law. You still feel the guilt and you still feel the shame of the things that you've done because you know what they mean to God and you know what they meant to the people around you that um, affected them. And you you just feel that and you're burdened. And a lot of times we just can't shake it. For either of those people, if you're tired or if you're in shame and just feel the guilt, I'm telling you, just look to this cross because on the cross hung a man and that man was God and that man who was God took all of the curse, all of the weight you feel and all the guilt you feel. He took it all for you. And I just encourage you, when you feel those things, just remember Jesus. You know, it's great that Jesus, he gave us a way to remember it. For so 2,000 years ago, this event happened in history, but we still have a way to remember it. Jesus gave us this, and on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread. I'm going to have the ushers come forward. He took the bread and he broke it, and he said, this is my body. It's broken for you. And he took the cup. And he said, this is my blood. It's poured out for you. And by his broken body and flowing blood, Jesus took the curse that was meant for you. So as the ushers come forward, just take a minute to think about the curse you deserve and what we've done to earn that. And reflect on Jesus who took it for you.